Well, good morning again. We've witnessed this week another week of war. We see our world is in chaos. The book of Ephesians is a book that was given to us to help us to live a life worthy of our calling in the midst of a world of chaos. Maybe the world is in chaos. It certainly is. Maybe your own personal life right now is in chaos. I don't know. But God's Word is the only, the only help for us. The only help for us is found in God's Word. As we've been going through the book of Ephesians, I don't know about you, but I have found it tremendously convicting, and that's a good thing. What do we do with our conviction, though? I tend to just hide within myself. I just take it and I just put it in myself and, and seem it's okay and just try in my own strength. I'll be honest, to just like, I'm not going to do that. I ask God for help. It's not the best way to do it, to be honest. What have you done when God has convicted you? How have you responded? The best way is to run full into it, to be honest. In Grief Share, which is a great ministry we've been doing, one of the things they talk about grief is to just let it hit you like a wave. Just lean into it, they say. Let the grief just hit you. Let conviction just hit you. Just let it hit you. It's God doing it. And God is who? He's kind and He's gentle and He's loving. Perhaps you're already nervous about today. I am. Today's passage of which we'll look at is going to deal with the things that we deal with on a regular basis. Lying, anger, hatred, all of these things of which God says we must put away. We must now put all these things off. So it's going to be tough, to be honest. It's going to be tough in a way that I don't want to come across as beating people up because I need to beat myself up first. And trust me, I am. So if God is convicting you during this, I want to encourage you, lean into it. If perhaps something that God says, and, and, and I appreciate what Gabe said, that Christ would speak immensely today, that you would forget who's here, and it would be Jesus. He is our great teacher. He is the one who wrote this book. When we read that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, so when we read Ephesians, we are reading Jesus Christ. That's who this book is about. It's about the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want to recommend to you, if today God speaks to your heart, you say, you know, I've been struggling with that and I need help with that, I want to recommend to you first, God's Word. First, God's Word. Three books that I think will be helpful if God speaks to you today to supplement God's Word is a book by Paul David Tripp called War of Words. 
One of the sins of which we'll deal with today is our words. Probably our biggest sin, sinning, is with our words. The War of Words by Paul David Tripp. Excellent book. Another book of which we did a study once is Good and Angry by David Paulison. Anger is another issue for, for me. I don't know about you. I'm going to assume that you're better than me. Perhaps you have an issue with anger. Good and Angry by David Paulison. Perhaps you think, oh, come on, it's not really that big of a deal, some of these things. Everybody does it. So it's just a little white lie. Respectable sins. Confronting those sins we tolerate by Jerry Bridges. We may tolerate things God does not. We may tolerate things, but God does not. Respectable sins by Jerry Bridges. All, we've gone through all these books and studies here at Bible Baptist Church. Perhaps you already have it. And I don't want to say this to put a downer on. I'm fully expecting God's going to meet us. But I think we often have a, a, a wrong idea within the church that I come to church because it's all about me. It's the wrong focus. If you're here for yourself... That God's supposed to meet me and make me happy and have a better life. And, and God's supposed to lift me up in my spirits and I'm going to walk out of here on cloud nine. I don't know what Bible you're reading. And I'm not saying that God beats us up either. But even in conviction, God, we should look at it as God saying, I love you. For God disciplines the sons that he loves. So he's going to speak to us today. He's going to speak to me. And it's especially hard to preach this and then go into your own home and say, now you've got to actually do this. But by God's grace, God will speak to us. As we've been going through Ephesians, we saw in the last two, in this chapter of uh, uh, chapter 4, verses 17 to 32, we're talking about avoiding immorality and adapting spirituality. Avoiding immorality and adapting spirituality. I will ask you to stand with me as we would seek God's favor and we would read God's word today. And then we'll hear what God says to us today. Father, we come to you and we ask again. <sighs> Plant your word deep in us. Shape and fashion us. Lord, help us to see ourselves so that we can see our Savior. For the glory of Christ and of His kingdom, we ask these things. Amen. This is what God says to us today. Ephesians chapter 4, beginning in verse 17 to the end of the chapter. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding and alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, due to the hardness of their heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greed, to practice every kind of impurity. 
But that is not the way that you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, and that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Ian Hamilton. Again, I would recommend anything by Ian Hamilton. I would encourage you to listen to him on Ligonier writes this in his commentary on the book of Ephesians. says, The Christian life that has learned Christ and has been created according to God in true righteousness and holiness is a morally and relationally transformed life. The gospel makes us right with God. Right, right with God. The gospel that makes us right with God plants within our lives the life of God. Not only do believers live their lives in Christ, but God in Christ lives in them. The New Testament could not be more clear and more insistent that anyone who professes to be a Christian but does not keep God's commandments and does not love their fellow Christian is a liar, the truth is not in them, and God's love does not abide in them. As we look at God's commandments today, we should not look at God's commandments as a denial of something. God is taking something away from me, but rather we should look at it as a call to freedom from our old self. In our text for today, God lists out a series of commands that help us to put off the old self, be renewed in our mind, and put on the new self. The first command that God gives us is to speak the truth. Truth alone. Truth alone. Look what it says in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth of this neighbor, for we are members one of another. If you remember, the put away means to stow away, to take off, with the implication of never putting it back on. The first thing that God says to put away is falsehood. The word falsehood is pseudos. It means falsehood, lie, or deceit. 
The reason that we are not to lie as believers in Jesus Christ is because our new self is created in the image of God, created in the image of righteousness and holiness. It's what he says in verse 24. And to put off the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Falsehood and holiness cannot coexist. God's children are to speak the truth in love. Verse 15 of chapter 4. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head into Christ. We are not to lie because God does not lie. God cannot lie, and if I can put it this way, it is a language in which God cannot speak. It's a language in which God cannot speak, but it is the language of the devil. It is his language. Jesus tells us that when we read about him telling the religious leaders that they speak the language of Satan. Listen to what Jesus says in John 8, 44. You are of your father, the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and he does not stand in the truth because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character for he is a liar and the father of lies. Lying is to speak the language of Satan. We do not lie to each other, the scripture tells us, because we are a community of truth. And we love each other by speaking the truth to each other. Look again what it says in verse 25. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. If we lie to one another, we not only show that we do not love each other, but we can't function as as God designed the church to function. How can we function as a community if I can't trust you? And you can't trust me. If we're just a bunch of liars and we can't trust each other, there's no way you can function. Your family cannot function that way. We cannot function if we cannot trust. We are to be a community that strives to help each other be like Christ. Lying is not God's character and therefore does not have a place in God's community. What it says in verses 15 and 16 of chapter 4. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that builds itself up in love. We're to grow into Christ. Falsehood will not allow us to do that. Have we all lied? Yes. Anybody ever tell you I've never lied? Just lied to you. The first command is not to lie, to be truthful. The second command is to not sin in our anger, good and angry. I hope we get the play on words, good and angry. Look what it says in verse 26. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. 
The word angry is orgizo. It means to be very angry. It means to be enraged. It is not a sin to be angry. We are created in God's image. And so we share some attributes with God. Those attributes are emotions. It is how and what we get angry at that makes anger a sin. There is righteous anger and there is unrighteous anger. There are things that we should rightly be angry about in this world. We should be angry about injustice and the murder of unborn children and the rampant licentiousness that's in our society. We should be angry about that. But if we're going to be honest, mostly we get angry because people do things that interfere with our plans or ideas of how things should be. This is anger that is born out of selfishness. It is the anger of man, and it does not bring about the righteousness of God, as James tells us in James 1, beginning in verse 19. Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. There are things that we should be angry about. There are things that we should not be angry about, should not react in anger because they're out of selfishness. But have you ever considered that there are things that we should be angry at that we are not angry at? Listen again what Ian Hamilton says. Where we encounter hypocrisy and unbelief in the life of Christ's church, a lack of anger would be a sign of our, our indifference and perhaps complicity in those sins. As we said before, we're made in the image of God. And therefore, we share some of God's traits. We're rational and emotional, just like God is. The difference is God is always in complete control of His emotions. Always in complete control of His emotions. He is not capricious as we are prone to be. When God is angry, and I would argue that He is the angriest being in the universe. There is nobody more angry than God. And perhaps, oh, you've got to understand, God's anger is not like the anger of man. God is justly and rightly angered. How many sins are committed against God by the billions of people that live on the face of the earth moment by moment? You don't think God's angry? Of course He's angry. God is the angriest being in the universe. But in His anger, He is always just and rightly focused in His anger. He is just and rightly focused in his anger. Jesus, who is our example to follow, shows us what being angry and not sinning looks like. We know that Jesus was angry on the Temple Mount, and he made a whip and drove out the money changers. Jesus did not sin. He, wasn't, he just didn't fly off the handle and do that. We know that Jesus was angry at the religious leaders. He called them the devil. He said, you speak his language. You're murderers. You're liars, just like the devil. 
We know that Jesus was angry when he declared seven woes upon cities and religious leaders. I'm going to tell you this, when Jesus says to you, woe, woe is exactly what's going to happen to you. Well, there's another time when Jesus was angry, angry that we actually do not think that Jesus was angry. We say, that's not, Jesus wasn't angry. It was at the time when he stood at the grave of Lazarus. Jesus was so angry that he actually physically shook. Look at what the text says. John eleven thirty three. And when Jesus saw her weeping, that is Martha and Mary, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. He was deeply moved, and Brian, my, uh, whatever I say, to snort with anger, storm with anger, be indignant. That's what the word is. That's the word God chose right there. Jesus was angry. Greatly troubled means terrasso. It means to cause movement, usually as the result of shaking or stirring. Jesus looks at the scene. He looks at death. And he's angry. Snorting with anger, actually. Storming with anger. Raging with anger. He was indignant and he shook. What was Jesus angry at? He was angry at the effects of sin. Sin brings death. Jesus is angry, not that they were weeping, but that they had to weep. And Jesus in his anger is stirred to proper action. And he calls forth Lazarus out of the grave. Here's what I'm angry. I'm angry at death. I'm going to do something. I'm going to bring life. And he calls forth Lazarus. Foretelling. Foretelling of the greatest expression of Jesus' love, which is also the greatest expression of His anger, the cross. For on the cross, Jesus' anger is displayed to us in love. True and right anger, listen to this, moves a person to positive, restorative action. True and right Anger moves a person to positive, restorative action. That's exactly what God did for us in Christ Jesus. God is angry, and rightly so, at sin. And God saw that no one could solve the problem. And so God said, I am angry, but I love these people. I'm going to do something. I'm going to come and I'm going to absorb my own anger for them. Isaiah chapter 59, verses 14 to 17. 
This is what God says. This is the anger of God, and we see the love of God at the same time. God positively, restoratively moving in anger and love. Justice is turned back, and righteousness stands far away. For truth has stumbled in the public square. Do you think truth has tumbled in our public squares? We can't even define male or female anymore. Of course it's gone. Truth is lacking. And he who departs from evil makes himself a prey. The way of the wicked will perish, the Proverbs told us this morning. He says, the Lord saw it and it displeased him that there was no justice. Displeased him. Words of of being upset, of anger. He saw that there was no man, and he wondered that there was no one to intercede, and his own arm brought him salvation, and his righteousness upheld him. He put on righteousness as a breastplate, and the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of what? Vengeance. That's not a passive word. For clothing, and wrapped himself in zeal as a cloak. God was angry. And instead of unleashing his full justified wrath, he moved in love towards this world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. Loved ones, have you believed on the Lord Jesus Christ or are you going to perish in your sins and justly so? We too, if we call ourselves God's children, must move positively and restoratively with our anger. To not do so will only bring about sin. Verse 26, again. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. What is sin? Harmatia is the word. means to miss the mark. Engage in wrongdoing. If we delay moving positively and restore to leave in anger, we give the devil an opportunity to deceive us. And we even begin to think that our unrighteous response is actually a righteous response. Yeah, well, I did so because of you. Yeah, well, you deserved it. We don't delay. We take time and we should pray. Let me, let me be clear here. And ask God for help. But we don't let it just fester. We don't let it just linger. We don't just let it, let it go. That's why it says, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Look again what it says in verses 26 and 27. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your In other words... Don't let this thing, don't let what's going on inside you just fester. Deal with it, and rather quickly. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. It's probably a good idea to actually take that literally. Don't let the sun go down on your anger. Don't let the day go by without dealing with this. And give no opportunity to the devil. 
to fail to deal with anger in a positive and restorative way as God did for us in Christ Jesus gives the devil an opportunity. The word opportunity is topos, a place, a location. Perhaps your scripture says, do not give the devil a foothold. A foothold. We're watching a war go on right now. You know, for us, it's unprecedented. We can watch war in real time. I love World War II history. And you see them battling in the Pacific Islands. And all they cared to get was a foothold. If we get this, we can get that. The devil's the same. If we give him a foothold, we give him the ability to possibly take the rest of the land. Do not give the devil a foothold. The late John Stott, in his commentary, writes this. Paul's third qualification is giving no opportunity to the devil. For he knows how fine is the line between righteous and unrighteous anger. And how hard human beings find it to handle their anger responsibly. So he loves to lurk around angry people, hoping to be able to exploit the situation to his own advantage by provoking them into hatred or violence or breach of fellowship. Be angry and do not sin. Move in love with your anger to restore the fourth command has to do with stealing. Do not steal, work to share. Do not steal, work to share. And we live in a day and age, and watch, stealing is absolutely fine. Matter of fact, it's legalized. California, you can steal up to $250 a day, and it's absolutely fine. You wonder why you see all the looting. Well, because the government sanctioned it. You're allowed to do it. God says don't steal. Verse 28, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. It's the eighth command that is in view here. Exodus 20, 15, you shall not steal. You know, Paul, though, exposits the command by stating that a person is to work hard so they can help meet the needs of others. A person is not to be lazy. When he says don't steal, he's also telling you, and work, don't be lazy. You steal by being lazy. But it's to work hard. Paul gave a command to the church in Thessalonica. When he was with them, he gave this command in 2 Thessalonians 3.10. What if, what if we in our society actually put this out as what's going to happen? For even when we were with you, we'd give you this command, if anyone is not willing to work, let him not eat. Now, there are people who legitimately need help. Absolutely, and we are obligated as God's children to help. We're not saying withhold help from those. Who, there are people who literally physically cannot work. You don't just let them starve. You don't steal. You work hard doing honest work with your own hands. And the reason that God gives you and I the ability to make wealth 
is for two main reasons, as I see in Scripture. Number one is to provide for your family. Number two is to provide for your church. Provide for your family, provide for your church, and also a subset of providing for your church is to help meet the legitimate needs of others within the church. That's the whole reason God gave you money. God gives you the ability to make wealth, to provide for your family, because if you fail to provide for your family, the Bible says you're worse than an unbeliever, but also to provide for God's church. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. You can read stuff for yourself. You can ask me questions later. Here, we'll spend some time. The fifth command is probably our greatest means of sinning. It has to do with our mouths, with what we say. Watch your words. Verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. The word corrupting is, is uh, sapros, Rotten, putrid, unwholesome. Let no rotten, putrid, unwholesome talk come out of your mouth. I don't know about you, I'm already guilty. This, I've sinned so much with my mouth, and I'm sure you have too. Words that do not build up and give grace are rotten, putrid, and unwholesome. As believers, our words should be used to build people up and not tear them down. That's what it says. Look again what it says in verse 29. Let no corrupting talk, rotten, putrid, unwholesome talk, come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, and to make grace to those who hear. The word building up is oikidome. It means to make more able to edify or to build up. Our speech should be used to edify and build one another up. To help somebody. To make them more able. The reason that our speech should be such... It should be edifying and helping to build one another up is because we ourselves are being built up into the house of God. I am to use my words, you are to use your words to help each other be built into the image of Jesus Christ. Look at what it says in chapter 2. That was quite, quite a few months ago when we were in chapter 2. But notice the word, the same word for building up is used. They'll be highlighted in yellow. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household. Build up. Oiko is the word house. Part of the house of God and what? Built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Christ Jesus himself being the chief cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together, grows into a holy temple of the Lord. In Him you also are what? Being built. Oike deme. Built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. We as a church, that is people who have been brought near by the blood of Christ, 
should strive to worship in such a way that God is truly among us. Everything we do is worship, by the way. Everything we do. We eat, we shop, we drink, we sleep. Everything should be to the glory of God. Our words should be to the glory of God. Our words, the Scripture tells us, have the power of life and death. You've probably perhaps felt both of these in your life. Somebody's told you something, said something to you in such a way, I know that I've done it, that it just brought death to a person. Not physically, you know what we're talking about, emotionally. And there are others who have spoken words that brought life to you. Death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Our words need to be full of grace and seasoned with salt, as Paul wrote to the church in Colossae, Colossians 4, 6. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Seasoned with salt, simply, it just means words that aren't going to bring harm. Words that are going to help the person be built up. As it says in our text, words that fit the occasion. Do we speak words that fit the occasion? You know, sometimes we feel like we have to say something. Maybe it's better to say nothing. Job's friends were at their best when they sat down and they shut up. As soon as they felt they had to say something. Right, And their words were, did not fit the occasion, and their words were so bad that what did God say to Job? I'm going to kill all your friends. Job said, no, let me make a sacrifice for him, you know? Actually, God said, if you sacrifice your friends, I won't kill them. What about our words? Do we have words that fit the occasion? One of the things we teach in Grief Share when learning the deal with the loss of a loved one, is those people who come up who want to be helpful, but their words just smack you around. Perhaps we've done it. Oh, I know exactly how you feel. Oh, don't worry, it'll soon be over. Oh, they're in a better... You know what? That may all be true. But giving them a hug inside of the casket is not the time to say it. Right? We don't, maybe good words, but do they fit the occasion? And do our words always fit the occasion? Reason we want to be careful with our words, and trust me, I'm the chief of sinners in this, is because our words show the reality of what's inside our hearts. You want to know what's inside a person? Listen to how they talk. Listen to the things they talk about and the things they say. You will quickly find out what is inside that person. This is what Jesus himself tells us. Jesus made it clear to the religious leaders when they were upset that the disciples ate food without washing their hands. Now, many of us go, of course you should wash your hands before you eat. That's normal. Normal people do that. Well, it was a religious custom. And because the disciples didn't do it on an occasion, they're going back and forth with Jesus. And Jesus just, just kind of lays into them. And the disciples are sitting there going, we don't get what's going on. Peter says to us, explain this to us. 
And this is Jesus' response. Matthew chapter 15, verses 17 to 20. Do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? Here's basic biology, right? We are single tube animals, uh, just like worms. What we eat gets passed out. Verse 18. But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come what? Evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual morality, theft, false witnesses, slander. Oh, this sounds like the list in Ephesians, doesn't it? These are what defile of a person, defile a person, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile anyone. So kids, don't go home and say, Ah, Jesus said I don't have to wash my hands. Wash your hands if your parents tell you to. As believers, our words must come under the control of the Holy Spirit. Failure to use our words in a way that builds up and gives grace grieves the Holy Spirit. They grieve the Holy Spirit because God the Holy Spirit is holy. He's God. He dwells within us. He's our seal of salvation. He's there. He sealed us for the day of redemption. Look what it says in verse 30. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by which you were sealed, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Why do we want to grieve God? Has God grieved you? Has God grieved me? Has God done you wrong? Has God done me wrong? No, not one bit. The sixth command tells us to get rid of six attitudes of our heart. Six attitudes of our heart. Get rid of it all. Scripture says get rid of it all. We'll go through this somewhat quickly. I know time is... uh, Who cares? Ephesians 4.31. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Six things. God says get rid of. Bitterness. Picria. You know what the word means? It means bitterness. Get rid of all bitterness. Hanging on. Just, I'm just so bitter. Just, I can't let it go. Let it go. And not the way that Disney tells you to let it go, because that's satanic, to be honest. Let it go the way God says to let it go. Let go of all bitterness and wrath. Thymos, an intense, passionate desire of an overwhelming and possibly destructive character or attitude. Let it go. Don't seek to get back. Don't seek vengeance. Don't let your wrath, right? The Bible tells us in Proverbs that a fool gives full vent to his anger. A fool gives full vent to his anger. I've been a fool. I'm assuming you've been a fool too. Thanks be to God for Jesus Christ. We don't need to get back. Romans 12, 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Leave it to the thymos of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. 
Let God take care of it. Doesn't mean don't seek justice in the court system or whatever else, or restitution or, or restoration. Or, it doesn't mean that. Just You know what? If I have the power in myself to just put the person down and deal with it, let God deal with it. Move positively in your anger. And that might be seeking justice, true justice. What do we do in wrath? When I let my anger fully go, I, well, I got to say, over justice. I do it too much. God always does it just right. So get rid of bitterness, get rid of wrath, get rid of anger. Oh, wait a second. Didn't he just tell me that I can be angry and not sin? Why is he telling me to get rid of anger? Is God contradicting himself in his word? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. It's a different meaning for the word here. The word anger here is orge. It means wrath as an outburst of a vengeful mind. Just unload and explode and go at the person. Don't we see that in society today? Right? How often do we see now, because of, of the internet, people posting everything on TikTok and Snapchat and every other piece of garbage out there, um, road rage, people beating each other up in school. I mean, we live in a society now that we're, an old man is getting beat up on the subway and people don't help. They pull out their phones. What is wrong with us? That is something to be angry at, by the way. And when somebody does step in and help, they, get, they go to court. I'm not going to go off on that. Trust me, I want to. But I'm angry about that stuff. Get rid of bitterness, of wrath, of anger, of clamor. Shouting or screaming. And of course, the shouting and screaming in anger. Anybody done that? Anybody been there? I have. I'm assuming you have too. Why do we do it? Because what I, my plans, and my idea of how things should be have now been interfered with. And therefore I react. Put it away. Doesn't mean don't react to anything. We're not saying just sit there and take stuff and don't do anything. We should be clear about that, but move positively and restoratively. He says, put away slander. It's the word blasphemia. Blaspheme, the content of defamation or slander. To tear somebody down, to take somebody and see somebody has some little fault. Somebody, did, somebody said the word the wrong way. Somebody this, somebody that. They did whatever. They dressed the wrong way. Right? And what do you, you lace into them, right? And when do you do it? You never do it to the person's face. They always do it behind their back. When people are tearing one another down, you should step in to stop it in the right way. Say, God does not tell us to talk this way. Why are you tearing it? Why are you talking about them? How often our gossip is actually slander. Tearing somebody down. A weak person. A weak-minded, a weak moral person tears others down. God says we are to speak what is fitting as to build up one another. 
You don't hear anything positive. You don't hear anything positive about people on the news. Are we slanderers? Put away all malice. Kakia. And I would say, in Greek, that's an onomatopoeia word. It sounds exactly like what it is. Hateful feeling. Hostility. You have people in which you just, when you look at them, you just seethe. Or you could just maybe even care less that they existed. That if they literally fell off the face of the earth, it wouldn't bother you in the least. Your life would go on. You'd have nothing. It wouldn't affect you in any way, shape, or form. How sad that is when it happens when inside families. Is there people within Bible Baptist Church, if they left and never came back, that it would not bother you? Now, there are some times when God has divine uh, 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 debits. He takes people away, right? I'm going to be honest. There's times when God, I thank God people have left because they were troublemakers. They were this. They were doing all these things and refusing to change. There's times when people left and you say, what's what going on? It's, we should, it should matter to us. Do we have hateful feelings? Do we have hostility? And it might not be uh, outward. It might be that just brewing on the inside. You know, and every time we got to do, oh, man. I gotta, you, know, you understand what I'm saying? You have people like that in your life? Put it away. Because the reality is, they don't know that you're like that. You're just destroying yourself with that. You're not, it's not affecting them in any way, shape, or form. You're destroying yourself. Your mind is not, not focused in the right way. Rather what? Hey, Lord, help me. Help me right now. Lord, I'm feeling this right now, and I need your help. Uh, the speaker of the men's retreat this week, which was just absolutely fantastic. Men, I encourage you to come next year. I don't know if it's going to be the same style of speaker or what. I can't promise that, but this year you missed out. One thing he said he'd do, he says, what you should do is, is, you know, you have big length times of prayer, but throughout the day, short prayers. And this was a guy who said, I struggled with pornography for years. He says, my prayer is this, that when, when, when I begin to get a thought of that, I said, God, purify my mind and make me holy. That's my prayer. Purify my mind and make me holy. He says, I just keep saying that, asking God to help that. So when, how about when you're feeling this anger and this hostility, this mouse, God, help me to be kind, tender-hearted, loving, forgiving, as God in Christ forgave me. Whoa. Because isn't that what Jesus was to those who were beating him and scourging him, taunting him on the cross? You imagine the one guy who had the absolute power to destroy them all by thinking it and chose not to. When he was reviled and not reviled, when they were nailing him on the cross, when they were gambling for his clothes, what did Jesus say? Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. He didn't have malice and hate. He responded in what? His anger responded in love. He responded in love. 
instead of these attitudes having prevailing sway in our hearts, we are instead to be kind, compassionate, and forgiving toward each other. Verse 32. Don't worry, we're coming to the end. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Kind, Christos, benevolent, pertaining to that which is pleasant or easy with the implication of suitability. Be kind to one another. Somebody does me wrong. Somebody makes a mistake. Maybe it wasn't on purpose. Maybe it was on purpose. Be kind. Move positively and restoratively in your anger. Not everything has to be dealt with. Sometimes it's okay to let something just go by. It is the glory of a king to what? Overlook an offense. Or as Paul told the church in Corinth, when things, it's just, why don't you just, this, this, this particular thing, it's, so, it's such a small, just, just be wronged in it and just let it go. But be kind even to your enemies, God says. So what Jesus says about this in Luke chapter 35 and 30, Luke chapter 6, verses 35 and 36. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you'll be sons of the Most High. For what? God is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. That's the standard. That's the standard. As Pastor John, almost every sermon reminds us what? Where should the bar be? It should be here. We like to set it here. Jesus set it here. That's the bar. And that's the bar that Jesus empowers us to reach. Verse 32 again, be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Tender-hearted. You splanknos. Compassionate. It literally means to feel from the bowels. To be tender-hearted means that I feel deeply for a person who is not only hurting, but who has hurt me. Ooh. A person I'm angry at because of what they have done to me. I have deep feeling for them because I realize that they are not right with God. And that my desire should be for them to be right with God through Jesus Christ. The War of Words by David Tripp really brings this home. Being compassionate does not mean that I don't seek justice. God is all about justice. Get justice. If you have to go to court, go to court. If you have to call the police, call the police. Get justice. We're not saying ignore justice. Crimes do need to be punished. Being compassionate says, I care about your soul. About a person standing with God. It means that if they ask forgiveness, that I grant it because God has granted it to me in Christ Jesus. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, verse 32 again, 
forgiving one another, should come up on the screen, as God in Christ forgave you. Forgiving. Karizomai. To hand over control. In other words, to say, I got you. I got you. And I'm going to lay the hammer down on you. Forgive means to say, you know what? I'm going to hand this over to the Lord. I'm going to let God deal with this. Brothers, do not avenge yourselves, but leave room for the wrath of God. To hand over control means that I will not seek retribution. That's different than seeking um, compensation and the things that we should in justice. It means I will not continuously nurse this hurt inside myself. I won't just live it over and over and over again. I'll forgive the person. I will hand it over to God and let God deal with the person who asks for forgiveness. And it also means that I will grant forgiveness as many times as they ask. Remember what Jesus said, Lord, how many times am I forgive my brother? And Jesus said, you know, I get, you know, Peter, you have it all wrong. You always grant it. Because how many times have we asked God for forgiveness? And has God ever withheld forgiveness from you or me when we have asked? He said, no, you reached your limit. We're done. Well, if you're really sorry, you wouldn't do it again. Is that what we like to say to people who have a habit or who have a pattern or are struggling with something? Well, if you really meant it, well, maybe they really do mean it. Maybe they really are struggling. Maybe God says to you, you know what? In your just anger, lovingly, positively, restoratively move towards that person and help them come out of that. Walk alongside them. Forgive as God in Christ forgave you. We have no right to claim Christ's forgiveness if we're not going to forgive others. Refusal to forgive when asked shows that my heart does not understand or may never truly receive, or has never truly received the forgiveness God granted to me in Christ Jesus. We'll finish with what Ian Hamilton writes in his commentary. In his postscript to the Lord's Prayer, Jesus impressed on his disciples the absolute necessity to forgive others. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Jesus is not saying that because we forgive others, God will forgive us. He is saying that an unforgiving heart is a symptom of an unforgiven heart. It is, it is possible to receive God's gracious and costly forgiveness in Christ. It is possible to receive God's gracious and costly forgiveness in Christ and not ever be ready to forgive others who have sinned against us. It should not be. Forgive as God in Christ Jesus forgave you. If we are to truly function as God's church, 
We need to put these things away. And you know what happens? We really strive to put the, all these six things away. You know what never is going to have to be granted? Forgiveness. If I put them away, if, I, if I'm striving not to, then I never have to go even ask for forgiveness. But if these things do happen in our lives, if people do these things, people within the church especially, do these things to us, they, they fall short, they sin, and we all will, we must be willing to forgive as God forgave in Christ Jesus. Just lastly, if today maybe you're feeling the sting, bring it to the Lord, deal with it, lean into it. Just don't let it drift off into the distance. It's going to come back again. It's going to come back again. And it'll come back even worse, to be honest. But maybe you're sitting here today too and say, you know what? I remember when I... And you're feeling the guilt. Jesus removes guilt. Do not live in guilt. Others may remind you continuously of what you've done in the past. Jesus never will. If you've truly, with faith, pled on the blood of Jesus Christ for full forgiveness, God says to you, He says to me, because this is my struggle. As far as the sin, your sins, as far as the east is from the west, so far have I removed your sins from you. Your sins I have cast, He says to the prophet Micah, I have cast into the sea of forgetfulness. I do not hold you guilty. I see my son, Jesus Christ. You, therefore, should see Jesus Christ if you've truly asked for forgiveness, if you're truly going forward and putting these things off. Do not live in guilt. That would be to tell Jesus your sacrifice is worthless. Loved ones, this is about freedom. Freedom from sin and freedom from guilt. Let's do it to the glory of God. Father, thank you for your word. I know it was hard. It was hard for me. But I thank you. That we can look to that hillside where justice and mercy meet. And we can look to that grave that is empty. And with heads lifted high, we can look to the heavens because the king will return for his own. Father, help us. Help us to have clean hands and pure hearts. We ask it for the glory of Christ and for the sake of the building of your church into the image of Jesus Christ. Amen and amen. Let's stand and let's close in a final song. We bow
knees. Oh, Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh, Lord, we cast down our idols. Give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us now lift our souls to one another. So give us clean hands. Give us pure hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Oh God, let us be a generation that sees and seeks your face. Oh God of Jacob. We bow our hearts, we bend our knees. Oh Spirit, come make us humble. We turn our eyes from evil things. Oh Lord, we cast down our idols. So give us clean hands, give us your hearts. Let us not lift our souls to another. Give us clean hands, give us your heart, let us not lift our souls to another. Oh God, let us be a generation that sees and seeks your face, oh God of Jacob. Oh God, let us be a generation that sees. Let us be that generation, O oh Lord. God bless you all.